Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode... I forgot to look again. 40. 40? No, we're past. I think 41. 40. 41 of the Kook Fan Podcast. My name is Jamie Vinnick. With me, as always, is my partner, Jacob Stevenson. And joining us today, we have a special guest to talk a little bit of Coog baseball, Joe Doyle from uh, the from Prospects Live, also does some stuff with Lookout Landing, and a Washington State alumni, if I'm not mistaken. Joe, how you doing? Indeed. Indeed. Go Cougs. I'm, I'm well. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Doing great. So if you don't follow Joe on Twitter, you should. Uh, he's talked a lot about Kyle Manzardo this season and just his, his progress and his development. If you're a Seattle fan, he tweets a lot about Mariner prospects, uh, which is fun stuff to follow. Um, but anyways, let's jump into Kyle Manzardo. He's obviously one of the most popular athletes at Washington State right now. Is one of the better baseball players they've had in quite some time. Talk about him kind of as a prospect and what you see from him kind of going forward uh, at the pro level. Yeah, I think I think Kyle Manzardo is, um, I mean, point blank, I think he's one of the best offensive prospects this school has had in a very, very, very long time. Um I should be a little bit more clear. He's one of the best hitters this program has ever seen. Uh, I think that's very, very clear. Um, In terms of where he fits in at the next level, it's difficult because he's making the leap from a college to to the pros where there's a lot more pressure on the pros to to be valuable in different ways. And unfortunately for Kyle, um, almost all of his value comes in the form of the bat. Now, that being said, I think it's a very, very, very good bat. Honestly, I think it's one of the top 10, 15, 20 college bats uh, in this entire class in terms of just what he can do with bat to ball and power. Um, where he might struggle at the next level is if the bat doesn't play, he has no route to the big leagues. So we're talking about a left-handed first baseman, probably a guy that at his peak is going to be a 260 to 275 hitter in the pros. And, um, with a little bit of player development and a little bit more strength, uh, you know, he might be a guy that can run into 15 to 20 home runs as well. I, I had a, I had a, um, I had a scout, uh, in Southern California that, that saw him four times this year and saw him a handful of times last year, compare him to, uh, like a poor man's Reese Hoskins. If, if you are involved in big league baseball and you know, the Phillies all, or, you know, sluggers, uh, Reese Hoskins is a first base left field, right-handed hitter. Obviously that's different than Manzardo, but uh, he's an average hitter with above average power, and I think that's what you might uh, might come across with Kyle Manzardo as a pro. That's actually answered my next question was about what a, what a comparison would look like. And then I uh, saw you tweet, uh, we, I think we talked about it uh, the other day, that he's maybe making the jump into a, a potential top 50 guy. Has it just been the way he's hit that have started to kind of jump out to scouts of, man, this kid might really be a, a second, third round type prospect? Yeah, I mean, the thing that really helps Kyle is this is such a down year for college bats. I mean, it is, um, it's one of the worst college hitter classes in the last 20 years, point blank. Um, there's just not a lot to choose from. And with Kyle, what I think you're getting is you're getting peace of mind. You're getting a good approach. You're getting a mature hitter. You're getting a hitter that uses the entire field, uh, can hit for power, hits for average, gets on base. Uh, and he does the little things really well. And there's just not a lot of those hitters in this class. Um, I don't know if, I think the possibility exists that he could go in the top 50. I I probably think it's a better bet to say the top 75 to a hundred. If you're talking like ceiling. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, he has helium with teams in the second and third round right now, which, I mean, WSU has not had an offensive player get drafted in the top two or three rounds in in 30 years. Yeah, it's been mostly pitchers when guys have gone that high from Washington State. Um, And on that topic, uh, we've talked to Zane Mills is another guy who who could see that uh, his name called. Uh, What do you kind of see with Zane as it comes to professional uh, chances, potential, and where he might be looking to go in the draft? Yeah, Zane has a very specific skill set. Uh, he fills up the strike zone. Um, he, you know, like I said, he throws a lot of strikes. He doesn't issue a lot of walks. Uh, he knows who he is. He's a ground ball pitcher. He, he's a sinker slider guy. Neither pitch is um, an extremely formidable pro pitch that makes you think, oh, this guy is going to be, you know, this guy is going to be a number two, number three starter at the big league level. But what he might be. Uh, for anybody that watched the the Mariners game this week or watched a little bit earlier this year, he reminds me of an LJ Newsome type. Now, LJ Newsome is a four-seam fastball top of the zone and a slider guy. I think what you're looking at with Zane Mills is a guy that is going to induce a lot of ground balls. He can pitch two or three innings at a time. Um, he might not be the guy that is on a 25-man roster that wins a championship, but if you're a team that's rebuilding and looking for innings and looking to get outs, uh, and not looking for any liabilities with, uh, you know, walking batters. Uh, I think that's Zane Mills. And there's a place in the game for those types of players. It's a it's a high floor. There's peace of mind in it, and, and managers like that. In terms of uh, where you could see him picked, I've heard a, a wide range. I've heard as high as the sixth or seventh round. I've heard kind of in that 12 to 15 round range. But uh, the the profile itself is definitely a draft profile and. I'd be very, very surprised if we didn't hear Zane Mills' name uh, selected in July. And then just um, the other thing, we're just speaking club specifically to Manzo and Zane, assuming that they are both going to be uh, in the pros next year, how do you see Washington State replacing them, especially with, with Manzo where there isn't maybe a clear-cut next first baseman on the, on the roster? Yeah, I mean uh... – it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to replace him. Uh, they've got some they've got some interesting guys that are transferring in. Austin Plant is an interesting uh, name out of the College of Southern Nevada. He's a JUCO transfer, um, big six foot four lefty bat. He's a left field first base type of profile. Um, he got hurt for about six or seven weeks this year, so I don't think we really have a great representation of who he is. But um, Plant is not gonna provide the type of offensive firepower that Manzardo does. And frankly, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, it's going to be difficult to replace that sort of offensive production because it is, you know, it's top of the Pac-12 scale production. There's guys that came in in, uh, you know, 2019 and 2020 that I think are interesting to look at. I think, uh, Louis Albrecht from last year as a catcher, he's 5'11", 175 out of Kent Ridge. He's a guy, maybe Cody Drace out of uh, Seattle. He's a third baseman, but he could slide over to first base. He's a bigger body. Um, He hasn't played too much this year, so you could see him a little bit. Um, And then, you know, elsewhere, Jaden Bugney, I mean, that's another guy that uh, you could watch out for. But this team is going to have to cobble together some slug next year and see what happens. I mean, there's going to be a greater uh, there's going to be a greater shoulder on Tristan Peterson to continue to develop the bat and and hit for power and drive in runs. And um, it goes all the way down the line. It's going to have to be a, a team effort. Now, just to actually clarify that, is true. Does Tristan Peterson have another year of eligibility? I thought this was his last year. Uh, he did. Um, 
Let me see here. No, he is actually, yeah, you're right. He's a graduate student, so he's not going to be in the program. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that, that kind of just makes my point for me. They're, they're really going to have to cobble together uh, a lineup that probably plays a little bit more slash and dash uh, small ball. I mean, you look at a guy like Cody Colton, hopefully he's still with the program. Uh, he can get on base. I mean, obviously Kyle Russell is going to have to take a big step forward. Keith Jones is going to have to take a big step forward. But, you know, you get three guys like that at the top of the lineup getting on base, and then you kind of hand it over to to some of the other players, like Louis Albrecht, uh, maybe a Jake Meyer is still with the program. I think he would still be with the program. Nate Swartz. Um, they've got guys that can put bat to ball. It's just a matter of who is going to sit in that four or five slot and drive balls into the gap, drive balls over the wall. That's going to be something that – uh, Coach Green is going to have to address. Gotcha. Is there is there uh, any other potential draft guys for 2021? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the only other one would certainly be Brandon White. I, I think he is probably the best chance that the, the team has. I mean, he was a high draft pick by the Dodgers in 2019 or 2018. I, I can't remember, like 11th round. Uh, teams like uh, the angle that he comes at the plate. Uh, they like the stuff. I mean, the stuff has been up to 97 in the past. I know it's settled in closer to 91 to 94, and he's got a good breaking ball. White struggles to throw strikes, as, as you guys have seen, and he struggles to repeat his mechanics. I mean, that is typical of a six foot eight uh, righty. Um, so I don't know if he's a starting pitcher at the next level. Uh, he might be a, uh, a long reliever type, uh, but there are certainly teams that are interested in White. I don't know if it's going to be enough to get him drafted this year, which, frankly, uh, I know White wants to hear that he's going to get drafted. But if he ends up back with the team, uh, that rotation next year is going to need a guy like Brandon White to head to head the charge. If um, assuming again that Zane is not returning uh, and, and Brandon does, who else do you kind of see maybe fitting into that rotation? Do you see like a Grant Taylor who's been really good down the stretch this year, or do you think it's going to be some of these younger freshman arms we haven't seen a ton of yet? Yeah, I think I think Grant Taylor's a good one. I think he's been really good. He's been very impressive. I have two guys circled that I really think are going to be front runners. First and foremost, Drew, uh, Duke Brotherton, I think, is a guy that you have to assume um, has a pretty good shot of, of of being in this rotation. I mean, he's your prototypical body. He's ninety one to ninety four, up to ninety five, if my information is correct. He's got a tight slider. He's messed around with uh, a different uh, shape of breaking ball and a changeup. Um, heavily revered when he when he you know joined Washington State last year, so I think that's a guy that you have to look for. And then the other one that I look at is Cooper Barnum. I, I've really liked what I've seen from Cooper Barnum. Um, he hasn't pitched much uh, in long outings, but I think he's the type of name that that you kind of look at and say, hey, you know, maybe we get this guy stretched out. He's got a big body. He can handle innings. Um, those are the two that I kind of have that I kind of have circled. But Grant Taylor been very very good as well. Um. One of the other questions, and obviously this has been a question across every sport this year, is what seniors will do. And obviously you've had guys on the football team come back. You've had guys like Isaac Bonton uh, expectedly depart. I haven't seen an official announcement. What do you kind of think guys like Colin Montez and Jack Smith, even just speaking generally ac uh, across college baseball, guys that, as you said, you know maybe aren't, uh, aren't going to hear their names called in the draft, what do guys like that do? Do they come back or do they try and just get a minor league contract and make it that way? That's a, that's a tough question. Last year was so unprecedented because, you know, they went to a five-round draft, and I think what really hurt and what wasn't fair was any player who was not drafted could only get a maximum of $20,000. Um, that's that's tough. That's really brutal. Um, and for seniors, 
uh, they at least had the ability to come back to school. We don't have official language, to my no, uh, knowledge, that that's going to be the case next year, whether or not you know seniors will be able to return for another year. I think they will be. Um, but one thing that I think the industry learned last year was spots in minor league systems right now are precious. Um, they got rid of an entire level of minor league baseball last year. And what that, you know, you multiply it, that's, that's 40 teams. Uh, there's 30 spots on every one of those teams. That's a ton of roster spots that just got completely cut off at the knees from minor league baseball. So um, the ability to get offered a contract to play in a minor league system. And I'm talking, I'm talking juniors too. I'm talking the Cody Colton types. If, if Cody Colton doesn't get drafted and he's offered an opportunity to sign on somewhere for $20,000 and, you know, can jump into a system, that's something that I think you really have to consider because those spots are few and far between. So, um, Every every guy is different. I would say if you're a sophomore and you think highly of yourself and you're going to continue to pursue baseball, you'll you know you'll come back to school and uh, continue to develop and try and improve your draft stock. But if you're a fourth year junior and you're 22 years or older, um, I mean I've told people I think my advice would be take an opportunity to get into pro baseball when you when you have it. And then just boiling that down to guys like Montez and Colden and Smith. Do you kind of see them being guys that maybe get those pro opportunities, or do you think those are guys that uh, that use that extra year of eligibility? I think I think Colton is an interesting one. Uh, I don't know, you know, what Cody Colton's mindset is. I don't know where he is in terms of uh, playing pro ball or what or whatnot. Um, his his profile is a little bit limited. Uh, you know, he's 5'11", 180. He doesn't hit for virtually any power. He's a gap hitter. Um, so I don't know how much he can improve his stock if he returns to school, but if if he were to be offered a, a pro contract to go play for an organization and start his pro development, I would seriously consider it. Um, in terms of Montez, Montez is a senior. Tristan Peterson, I know that, that he doesn't have any more eligibility, but Montez, he's, he's the type of guy that I could see sticking around just because, and this is no disrespect to Colin Montez, I don't know if he necessarily has a lot of pro potential in terms of you know, how high he could go. So he might want to run it back one more time with the Cougs. Um, would not surprise me. Who were some uh, other young players with pro upside on the team? Yeah, so I am really, really high on Duke Brotherton. I know I mentioned him earlier. I really think this kid could be uh, in three years, in, in 2022, I guess, 2023, I should say. I really think he could be one of the better starting pitchers in – in the Pac-12, I think he's got that sort of stuff. I think he's got that sort of body. He's got a good mentality. So I'm watching Duke Brotherton closely. Uh, the obvious one is going to be Kyle Russell. Uh, he's a shortstop that's been banged up a little bit with lower body injuries all year, but the kid can really hit. Um, he doesn't have much thump. Uh, he's listed at 6'2", 195. I think it's generous. Uh, I think he's probably closer to 185, but He's going to have the opportunity to go out and play in the Cape Cod League this summer and really make a name for himself, playing against the best players in the entire country. And um, I'll be interested to see if he can add a little bit of oomph because he's a he's an above-average defensive shortstop, maybe better. He's got plenty of arm for the position. He projects to stick there long-term. Uh, and college infielders, college shortstops that can hit and hit for a little bit of power, they usually go really, really well in the, uh, in the MLB draft. So he's one to watch out for. And then the other one that I wanted to point out uh, was was Keith Jones. I, I like what I've seen from Keith Jones. Frankly, he's, he's surprised me a little bit. He's a spark plug at the top of the lineup. 
He's got good weight. He's got some punch. Um, going to have a couple more years with him and, uh, or maybe a, he might be eligible after 2022, but he's going to be one to watch as well. I think, uh, I think he might have pro potential. And then uh, one of the other things that's been talked about a lot is that the Cougs brought in the the top-rated JUCO class from this past uh, or from 2021, uh, highlighted by you mentioned Austin Plant, also Cole McMillan and, and Highland Hall. Um, are those? What do you kind of see again in, in Hall and McMillan? Are, are those guys that are immediate impact players, or are they maybe some some slower developing guys when they get to this level? Well, McMillan is going to impact immediately, and he's going to impact in a way that the Cougs need. Desperately, he. I would think he's going to slot into the bullpen right away. I would think he's going to slot at the back end of the bullpen. I think he's going to close games for the Cougs right away. Um, he's got some deception, uh, low 90s stuff. He's got a good breaking ball. Uh, he's been really good for a really competitive San Jacinto team uh, this year that plays in one of the toughest JUCO conferences in the entire country. I mean, he's got 30 innings. He's got 45 strikeouts. Uh, he leads the conference in saves with eight uh, over 21 21 appearances. He's only started one game. So I would imagine he slots in at the back end of the bullpen. And as you guys have probably seen, that's, that's an area of need for the Cougs. So uh, getting an established closer type uh, that can pitch multiple innings is, is a good, uh, is a good addition. As far as Highland Hall goes, this guy was truly one of the best outfielders in the entire country in 2019. I mean, bar none, perfect game ranked him as the 12th best outfielder, in the entire country, uh, he was a legitimate big draft prospect. Uh, there were guys talking about him going in the second or third round out of high school. Um, it hasn't worked out. He decided to uh, go to Wabash College, where he's been a little banged up. Um, he's he's missed a lot of this year, but he is the type of bat that, if it clicks, uh, could be an immediate boost to this to this lineup. He's not going to play first base, so you can't replace Manzardo in that sense. But you're talking about a guy that hit 380 this year, you know, had a few home runs, stole a bunch of bases in just 17 games. He has to slot in somewhere at the front end of the lineup. So he he has the potential. Let me just put it this way. He has the potential to really change the narrative in 2022 for the Cougs. All right. Well, that's especially good to hear with the bullpen. I think anyone who's watched the team has seen really identified two things, bullpen and defense. That, that's kind of, I mean, you probably look five, six games with, with a more effective bullpen, you know, a little better defense. You know, you're, you're probably looking at 20, 28, 29 wins right now going into that last weekend. Um, and then just on kind of on that note, uh, what are just kind of your overall thoughts on, on this Washington State team and kind of where the program is headed after some, some really dark years and some really tough years in the past few? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway from afar is is Brian Green has infused so much enthusiasm and excitement into this program. I think it's a program that plays for its coach, and there's been coaches in the past, you know, um, that that hasn't been the case. Uh, it's it's been more siloed. So I am I'm really excited to see where Washington State is going. The the recruiting classes that they have lined up for 2022 and 2023 um, are frankly, some of the best recruiting classes, if things pan out, uh, that this program has ever brought in. So they need to address the pitching staff. Um, Brian Green took over a program that was that was thin across the board, and he's begun to build up some depth. So uh, the pitching staff, uh, you know, impact players on offense, uh, he's starting to get the players he needs on defense uh, to shore that up. So yeah, I mean, this program is 
got a definitive up arrow next to it. And if he continues to recruit the way that he has, uh, you know, they could find themselves at the top half of the Pac-12 for as long as he stays. Joe, really appreciate your time as always. And forgot to ask you, I I was told this, you used to write a Kook fan, huh? I did. I wrote for Kook fan from 2011 through 2013. I had no idea. I mentioned to the guy, uh, the higher ups that you were hopping on. They're like, oh, Joe used to write a Kook fan. I'm like, did not know that. So figured better. Yeah. Better get two and a half, three years. (laughs) Better get that mentioned. That's awesome. Uh, Hey, thanks again for coming on, sharing your insights. Uh, You know, always, always good to get, you know, uh, get a, get a good prospect writer on here to talk. And uh, yeah, thanks again and take it easy, man. Thanks. Sure, man. Appreciate it, guys. That, folks, was Joe Doyle from Prospects Live, Lookout Landing, and he, he, he knows his stuff more than we do. Anyways, more, more definitely more than we do. Yeah, that is for sure. Uh, we don't know anything. No, we know something. Anyways, uh, we got a few other questions, too. Some non actually, there's a couple baseball questions in here. The one other thing we want to mention, just because there's not a whole lot else going on. Uh, so the Cougs this weekend, uh, we're recording on a Sunday night, uh, uh, lost two or three against USC. Uh, Friday, just Kind of, you know, couldn't get the bats going until it was too late. Yesterday, the defense just wasn't there. And again, couldn't get the bats going today. Uh, the bats really exploded. 13 runs, 20 hits, uh, and blasted SC. So they head in, so they'll head into next. They'll, they're actually off next weekend. Um, don't know. They were. It sounded like last time I was on the a press conference with Coach Green, he, he kind of said that they were looking to maybe get the series and they had some opponents finalized. I'm wondering if, you know, with these last few games, they were they had lost five straight prior to today's win. Pretty much, uh, kind of uh, knocked them out of any any sort of tournament discussions, and it was kind of a it, it was going to take a pretty big reach, even as as is. Uh, I wonder if they kind of said, you know what, these guys have played thirty five games in sixty days, nine straight weekends. Let, let's give them a weekend off. So they've got three games, not next weekend, but the weekend after, so the uh, Memorial Day weekend against Washington, who is the worst team in the conference by a pretty good margin. Uh, so a chance for the Cougs to, if they win one of the t- three games, they uh, they will finish with a winning record. They sweep. That'd be really ideal. Uh, still the opportunity to climb as high as, I think, seventh in the conference. They cannot finish any lower than ninth. Let's get into some questions. Uh, oh, and then the other thing to mention is, uh, as Cook fan wrote this week, uh, Ryan Kershaw is no longer with the Cougar football program. We had gotten asked, I think it was last week, about if there was a potential injury to him. So... Um, if that, if that is really, you know, all the best to him, feel bad for him that, you know, uh, just, you know, didn't, uh, didn't get the, didn't get the chance to play because of injury or whatever it was, best of luck to him. Uh, but yeah, uh, too bad we won't get to see him in a Cougar uniform. I was looking forward to watching him. Yeah. Uh, we were both really high on him. Mm-hmm. If anybody's listening to the podcast in a while and, uh, it's unfortunate he doesn't get to play. Hopefully if it's injury related that he gets healthy soon and, uh, best of luck to him. Yep. All right. Questions. We got a few, so we're going to run through these. First off, uh, how do you think the new uh, name image likeness issue is going to affect Washington State in recruiting, particularly in football? Um, I think that it's hard to say right away. I think it's one of those things you kind of have to watch and see. I don't think it'll affect them too much, to be totally honest. And the reason I say that is because I I think that the way that it's the Coop kind of recruit on their own level. Um, you know, it's, uh, they don't necessarily draw in the big prospects, uh, for football. And I'm speaking, obviously basketball, recent, uh, recent events uh, suggest differently, but they don't necessarily draw in, um, the, the top end five-star football targets. And that's just, that's just a fact. That's not a, a judgment one way or another. So I don't think that, I think the only way it could hurt them is if 
you know, uh, some programs able to offer this or that. I, I don't know. I think it's tough to say right now. I don't really think it does anything either. We don't know a whole lot about the name, image, and likeness, how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And with the type of recruits that they get, you're right. You're right. How they recruit their own type of guys, how they don't, you know, some recruits will have Pac-12 offers. Some recruits will just have Mountain West offers. And they're kind of all over the place with their recruiting. So I think it's too early before we make a – a before we have a take of if it's going to work or not. Right. I, I can agree with that. Um, um, next next question. Baseball fielding is hard to watch. What is the solution? Well, um, I, I think, you know, I'd be, be blunt here and say that the baseball, the fielding ha, has been a struggle lately. They actually were perfect today in the field minus a pass ball. Prior seven games, they'd committed 25 errors. Um, you know, we're, I'm not in the business, and neither does Jacob, about we're not going to call out players or criticize, uh, you know, or say, oh, this this player sucks or he's no good. Um, but I, I think it's also a fair thing to say that, yeah, the fielding has been a struggle. I mean, 25 errors in seven games is too much. Um, you know, and the reason I should say, and the reason I, I'm not in the business of, you know, of taking shots at specific players or saying that they suck or whatever is because, if you're going to say that, you better be able to go to back it up. And I'm certainly not going out there and playing perfect defense um, or good defense. I was a, I was a decent 13-year-old uh, catcher. Probably couldn't catch it at the college level. So and that's just that's my general opinion on everything is, you know, I, I think it's one thing to, to say, oh, yeah, you know, the defense is struggling. Another thing to say, well, they should get rid of all the players, et cetera, because that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I haven't played baseball since I was eight. Yeah, so, <laughs> we, we played softball. Yeah, I, and we, I was actually, I played intramural softball, and I fielded the team position very well. I just couldn't. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> I, I fielded pretty well, actually. But uh, You fielded better than the rest of our team, besides me, which isn't saying much. <laughs> we still committed That's a lot of errors. a whole separate podcast here. But, uh, yeah, the fielding hasn't been great, but... They're low improved. They'll get better. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just like the defense hasn't been good. Bullpen hasn't been great. They'll they'll improve. It's fine. I think the one thing that will be said is a lot of times when we're talking about something is oh you know when we talk about the bullpen experience guys get experience they get older that's fine. I don't think that's the case with the fielding. I think when you look because when you look at the Cougs position players there's a lot of veterans. I think it's got to be and this is what again this is what Coach Green has said a lot is that. It comes down to you know becoming more athletic as a team and just a mentality. And defense, a lot of times, it's a mental thing. And that's true if you're 10, if you're 20, if you're Mike Trout. It, you know, play, it's a mentality. To, and, you know, and there's obviously athleticism involved. You, know, you look at a guy like Evan White for the Mariners. He makes plays that a lot of first basemen can't because he's just really athletic. So there is an aspect to that. Um but I, I think that it's uh, I think it, it's all mental. I, I think it's it's you know, and I can speak just from even playing baseball at a young age and just from hearing what coaches and players have said is that you make one error, it gets in your head a little bit, and then you start to you start to second guess yourself and you start to you know every throw becomes a mind game. So I, I don't know if that's what's going on, but I, I think something's got to be going on because they're not a twenty-five error in seven games type of team, and that's all. That's almost four errors a game. That's just that doesn't happen. You know that, I, so I wonder if it's something mental too. It could right? be, and it could be some mental exhaustion. I mean, yeah, you know. mentally, you're mentally exhausted. It's, you're kind of towards the end of the year. Maybe you have a bad error, or so, or you know, you're not hitting well. It goes over to your field, and you're 
that's in a 13 play. So part of it might be mental because we know hitting's mental. There's a lot of things in sports that are mental, but uh, yeah, that's it's yeah. I they'll be fine. I think. Uh, next question: What is your take on the quarterback battle? Is it a battle between Delora and Garantano? Did he end the fall ball? Is Cooper still standing even with those other two? Um, I am actually. It's a good question. I think that in a normal year, it's a battle between Garantano and Delora. I tend to lean Garantano right now personally because, um, because of uh, you know what's going on off the field with Jaden, the fact he didn't participate in spring ball. I, I, it makes me think that Garantano might have the inside track. Um, but I do think Kamen is still standing. I think Kamen is still competing. Um, and I think he's going to compete in, until the very end. And, he, and it's entirely possible he comes out and wins the job. Um, but I, I do think it, it is still a battle. Um, and, and I'm curious to wonder what would have happened if uh, if Jaden, you know, if there hadn't been the off-the-field stuff, you know, how what would that battle look like? But... Um, I, I do personally believe it will boil down to Delora and Garantano in the fall. And, and right now, I, I will give the edge to uh, Garantano just because he's got the spring ball game. and Or he got the spring ball in and he got a little, familiar with the offense and, you know, got the experience side. So, yeah, that's my opinion. Jacob, what's yours? I'm, I'm right there with you. I think if Delora would have been there in the spring, it would be neck and neck. And then a little bit of a gap would be Cooper. I think Delora will enter when he gets to practice will reenter himself in there, and I think Garantino uh, with the spring practice and just being an older guy, he'll get the starting job, and then Delora and Cooper behind him. But uh, I, I, I would be surprised if it wasn't. Uh, I don't know because Delora, Delora's very talented, but with him missing the spring and. Him being a younger guy, I, I could see them going to Garantano, but uh, I don't really know. But uh, the answer to the question is: it a battle between Delora and Garantino, then a fall ball? Yes. Yeah, I think I I think so. And again, you never know. I mean, Cameron could make a surge, but I, I would say yes. But if you ask me, who do you think is going to be? Who do I think is going to be the starting quarterback? I would lean Gar- Garantino, but I, I I don't know. I really don't know. Anyway, next question. Do you think we have a good strength and conditioning program now when it comes to negating injuries? Is it just me or does it seem we were awful dinged up for this last spring ball? Um, there's always in you know minor injuries in spring ball. And I think what you see is, and this is what I, I was told a while ago by someone, is that a lot of times the injuries you see in spring ball are, are stuff guys would normally play through. It's just it's spring ball and you don't want to aggravate an injury and then have it, you know, linger into the summer and the fall so that's why i think with a you know if a guy was a little banged up he probably what you know you just have him sit a couple days of practice you know or you don't have him play the spring game i i think that's why i think our strength and conditioning coach is plenty good or uh, program is plenty good um i just think that it's you know you 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 uh exercise as much caution as you can because you know you don't you don't want guys hurt in spring ball that's the last thing you want because it just it's you know, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but grand scheme, I think it does matter. I think you saw kind of uh, the difference in not having spring ball last year. But you don't want – you're not pushing for a game week. You know, you don't want to aggravate an injury. Spring ball is just practice in the spring. And mm-hmm. the spring game is pretty much a glorified scrimmage. Yep. That's but kind of what it is. You, you – unless you're 100%, you're not going to practice in spring ball. 
because of injuries, right? Yeah. And you made a good point that all these minor injuries the guys are normally play through that we wouldn't care about in the fall, they're sitting out in the spring. So I don't really think it's a thing with any of our coaches or guys are getting hurt more for whatever reason. I just think it's it's practice in March and they're not playing until September. So they don't want a guy who has got a bum ankle to play through it and then all of a sudden ligaments are torn. Yeah. So that's I mean, an example. You look at uh, UW, one of the UW edge rushers, Zion Tupola Fatui. Um, he, uh, I think he, he tore his Achilles and, yeah. and, and, you know, and that's just, and, and I'm not, that's just, a, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because he's, he's a great player. Um, and you know, that's why I think in spring ball, you're safe. And I'm not trying to use his injuries a point. I'm just pointing out that that's the example of a star player who, who got hurt in, in spring ball. And you just, you hate to see that, to see a guy in a talented player in, in April and, you know, in practices get injured. Um, so I think that it's that that and that is why I think just when you see guys, you know, you saw a lot of guys not playing the spring game. You just want to you want to show as much caution as you possibly can, because even just, you know, without being injured, you can have a freak injury like that, a non-contact injury, which is what he had. So, you you know, you you never want to see those type of things. And I think that it's um, it's why they're extra careful in the spring. Everybody is. Yeah. Speaking of, what is our alternative to the Leech Beach for lower leg ankle conditioning? It sure put an immediate halt to our years-long run of high ankle sprains. So if it is gone, what is taking its place? I'm sure Rollo's got a plan. I don't know what it is. I'm sure there will be some kind of, uh, you know, idea, project to uh, to kind of keep the legs and the, and the feet limber and, and tough. Yeah, I'm sure they have a plan. Yeah. And lastly, uh, Aiden Hector has Aiden Hector officially transferred, left the program. Yes, he will not be back. That's um, he's in the portal. Uh, I don't. I would be absolutely beyond stunned if he returned to the the football program. I will leave it at that. I would be very shocked as well. And he, yep, he's in the portal. Yep. Okay. I think that was everything. Thanks again to Joe Doyle for joining us. Um, yeah, giving some good insight. You know, we obviously there's been some buzz around the baseball team and. But guys like Manzo and Zane Mills, so it was good to hear his insight. Uh, follow Joe on Twitter. He tweets a lot of good stuff about Cooks. Again, if you're a Mariner fan, he has a lot of great Mariner takes, really tweets about prospects. I mean, me and Jacob were saying beforehand, we could do a three-hour podcast with him just talking Mariner prospects. But, um, yeah, no, Joe's a good guy. And, yeah, former Cook fan writer. So preceded, uh, preceded us at Cook fan. But uh, thanks again for tuning in to the Coog Fan Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at stevejac 2 and at jamievick9, J-A-M-E-Y-V-I-N-N-I-C-K, and the number nine. Follow Joe at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B, and follow Coog Fan at CoogFan.com. Be sure to stay tuned into Coog Fan for all the Washington State news. Make sure to uh, like and subscribe and all that good stuff on Spotify, iTunes, TikTok. I, I'm just naming things now. I, I was joking. I don't really know what TikTok is. I'm not hip. <laughs> you know what, Jimmy? You know what Vine is? Wait, your what is? Remember with Vine? Oh, Vine. Vine. Yeah. Oh, is it basically it's, that? TikTok is. I Vine, see yeah. it on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. I don't. I don't really know what it is. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm the I oldest twenty. 20- I have TikTok, but I don't go on it. But some some of them like they pop up on Twitter. Some of them are pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm the oldest twenty four year old on the planet. I'm I'm not hip to all this. I, you know, I don't have TikTok. I or know what it is. I barely use Instagram. I listen to metal. So <laughs> I'm an old guy. Anyways, uh, before I, before it's, you know, uh, my life story. Uh, thanks again, everyone for tuning in. This has been Jamie and Jacob on the Coog fan podcast.